we need to get together and let our voices be heard. This is Buffalo What's Next. I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenza. And I'm Thomas O'Neill White. After May 14th, how can we afford not to talk about race? About education, about segregation, about humanity. Since the dawn of this nation, racial violence has existed. The way we have designed our society has a big hand in what occurred in that Topps market. The suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. We need to make sure that we put more funding in our programs that help prevent gun violence and more money into art. If we're going to have some real healing, we've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truths. Good morning. This is Buffalo What's Next, and I'm Lorenzo Rodriguez. And today we're going to be talking about real estate, real estate and and, and neighborhood development. And not just any traditional form of, of developing a neighborhood and community, but crowdsourcing, crowdfunding. And we're going to be speaking to two ladies that are doing some phenomenal work. They're, they're ambitious work in the east side of Buffalo. I'm here with Brandy Barrett and Jacasey Benitez. I think I put the flair on there, right, Jacasey? Yes, you did. Dominicana, I have to throw the Jacasey Benitez. Ya tu sabes. Perfecto. Uh, we'll get into the whole Bina talk later on because that's, that's a word I can't I can't wrap my head around. Brandy, Jacasey, uh, you two are the masterminds, the the young entrepreneur minds behind Barrett and Benitez Development. You are doing a very interesting uh, project here that I'd like to hear directly from you all. Explain to me, first off, how your business group came to be. Yeah, so um, we started back in 2018 um, just trying to think about how we can give back to the community. You know, um, we've seen our community changing, being redeveloped. Um, we saw the medical campus growing and growing and growing. And we saw our neighborhoods getting smaller, smaller, and smaller and not having the opportunities, not having the say of what is happening in our community as far as a, a development standpoint. Um, and then critically needing those essential resources to keep communities walkable, to keep communities thriving. Um, we saw, well, I personally saw one of the only pharmacies in the Fruitville neighborhood um, shut down, you know. So what does that mean to an aging community? You know, people now have to walk further to get prescriptions filled, walk further to attend, you know, great schools with great opportunities and have options, you know. Um, so Shakesi and I came together. Um, we always had the will and passion to serve people and give back. I think we're too much of givers. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. we stretch ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, but the need, you know, to represent um, what people thrive on, what our family thrived on to get us here was important to bring back and correlate um, and use our resources to do that. So. Now, Brandy, you are... Born and raised here in Buffalo. I am. And not to not to single you out, Jacasey. You're That's you're from the Bronx. Okay. Jacasey from the Bronx, but you've been <laughs> you've been in this area for a while. You met at in college. Yes, we did. That was at Damon College. Damon College. Yes. Mm -hmm. And friends, partners now, you're tackling the need for, for mixed use or actually just resourceful properties out on the east side. You started Barrett and Benitez and now you're gonna be tackling an initiative by the name of Loads of Love. Yes. Can you explain what that is? Yes. So the Loads of Love is a mixed-used um, complex, as you mentioned. It will be a laundromat, and then it will have five to six residential units. 
And so the idea is that the laundromat will be eco-friendly, which will be, you know, something very, is an initiative that we figured that is necessary for the community because usually in these marginalized communities, we're like the last ones to always know, you know, what's the best environment, a way to kind of really keep our communities thriving. So um, some of the eco-friendly features will be solar panel. We have the rainwater collection. Um, we're going to also have some features where it's going to be Wi-Fi. There will be a cafe. Um, you know, we, we envision something very beautiful um uh, a laundromat that you've never seen in buffalo just in, in any area in buffalo so um and then we have the five to six residential units which um we'll talk a little bit more later on about the partnership um with fostering for greatness so that that whole idea um to be able to bring a complex like this in the east side of buffalo that will just add beautification restoration um just energize the community um we know that this is so much needed and we know that this won't be the first project but this will be many more projects not only by us but other developers once they see um what's what's possible in this area it's an important project because as we we know uh, the tops supermarket where the shooting took place right. that that is it's a food desert out there. Right, that was right. the only grocery store in the area. That's that's why it was targeted. There's a lot of, of resources and, and utility services that are not being offered to part that part of, of the community. A laundromat is, is one of those things. Right. If you can't afford to have a washer dryer, you need to go to a laundromat. If there's no laundromat, where do you go? This loads of load development is going to be, if I'm not mistaken, Michigan Avenue between Laurel and Riley Streets. Correct. 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 And a laundromat, as you mentioned, is a community place because everyone's. You go there with your loads of yes. of, of laundry, exactly. And you have to you have to buy buy some time, bide your time there, and kill some time. But also, you're, you're having a coffee. That, that I love that idea. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you gotta, yeah. You gotta keep people uh, entertained while they're waiting right. for their their sheets well, to exactly to dry. Because at the end of like you know, laundry is a is a chore. Like yeah. who likes to do chores? You know, usually you you know you're working the whole week. You know, the laundry is always something that you do either Saturday morning, depending, or like Sunday morning, or depending when you do. You know, you want to go to a place where you feel calm. So why not go to a place where you can have a cup of coffee? There's a nice ambiance. You know, um, it's clean. It, it's beautiful. Um, you know where I come from laundromats are not the best you know they're you know the kids are running around they don't know like it, it's just not the nicest place on top of the fact that you have to do chores now you're not in a nice space to do it so that's why the Wi-Fi and the and the, and the cafe feature is something that we feel uh, you know residents will really enjoy we'll get into the details of, of the laundromat but the biggest takeaway from here is the thing I, I saw immediately is the way that you're tackling this you are not as i mentioned not a large development firm you're two friends that had an idea a passion and and now are bringing this idea to a necessary part of the region but you're doing it in a way where you're involving the community you're having you're allowing the community to have a stake and equity in in this project a project that is going to have a necessary resource in a laundromat some homes as well crowdsourcing crowdfunding is that an accurate way of of mentioning it yeah yeah um and even before we um you know talk about the crowdfunding i do want to go back to what you mentioned about may 14th because mm. that um tragedy is not far from where the laundromat will be mm -hmm. you know and the reason why we not only opened up the crowdfunding equity we opened it up again for people to join in on this process get investment many times we talk about 
food deserts and having essential services. And yes, some of those things come up. So good job for TOPS for having this structure there um, to serve that need for the community. But we need to push it further. We want the foods that we eat, the foods that we identify, mm-hmm. the places that we want to grow with and not for, you know, it's not enough just to put it there and let people be happy. We have to feel empowered to continue to grow beyond expectations. And that's what B&B's mission is, to grow and build beyond expectations. We don't want just to have something to have it. We want to grow beyond it. Um, So having this crowdfunding um, opportunity, if you will, Mm -hmm. is not only for bigger investors, it's for people like you, like me, who work hard, who want to see change and want to have a voice and want to say, I want to be a part of this movement and not just be told that this movement is coming to my neighborhood. Um, so the equity um, that people can buy into is an equity share of B&B. It's not just a project. You grow, we grow, you grow. So it's really like planting that seed, if you will. And to add to what Brandy is saying, it's also a part of financial literacy that, you know, most of our community, we don't know about. And so being able to give them the opportunity to buy be an investor in this um, project. Well, not the project, the business, but the project also will benefit from any of the funds that we receive. The idea is that you will be just learning about financial literacy through that, you know, and being an example of what you can do if I not only just say, okay, I'm going to support a business coming in, but I'm also going to be a part of that. And so just being an ally. So being an ally with the community, not just serve, not just putting something in the community, but being an ally with the communities, being very focused on the community's needs um, in a different way now from being able to give that financial opportunity to invest. Mm-hmm. So. The east side is in need of more things than just dollar stores. That's yes. right. It needs it needs businesses. It needs locations that are representative of, of, of the community. That's and right. Opening it up to the community is, is great. I, like I, I spoke with Brandy setting this this interview up, and I, I really dig what the mission statement is for, for you both and this project. And it's one of hopefully many. Right. But uh, as far as loads of love, and your background. And the crowdsourcing, I, I, and, and you touched on something, Jack Casey, that you're from a social work background, correct? Yes, I am. Brandy, you did some some finance, some consumer banking. banking. Yeah, I was in small business banking, consumer banking for 12 and a half years. Um, and then after that, I was in analytical work. And in a mix of it, I was always in nonprofit, rather if I served on a board or became a staff member. Um, but now I'm exclusively nonprofit now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, those are our professional superpowers, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> but then you enhance those superpowers with uh, a pivotal program that was offered, uh, the Community-Based Real Estate Development Training Program. Correct. Um, so that started through Empire State Development, and it was facilitated through Eastside Avenues. Um, so we, I received that training, and then most recently, Chikasi and I participated in a community preservation corporation uh, access program, incubator access program, uh, where we received uh, training and uh, experience on more real estate development. And 
what does that look like for BIPOC developers yes. and getting access to capital to really make those visions and missions move forward. Um, so, you know, we're always challenging ourselves to education, always trying to get that practical understanding on how we can get better because it's not enough to have 12 and a half years of experience in banking or certificates of social work. We really want to infect ourselves with the practicality and the relatability of community and real estate development. You know, we do not come from... lineages yeah. of, of money you know yeah. that's just not what it is so for us we have to make those connections we have to network and we have to be a face of the communities that we come from to challenge those developers that do have um, the resources to, to make bigger decisions to make private developments to partner with us because we hear the community we live it we see it we do it come with us join us on this on this trajectory of better development And to add to that, you know, the idea that, you know, um, very simply put, you know, especially with youth, because I I work with young people, um, the idea that it's so much easier and so much, um, it's easier to grab people and come and and say, hey, join us, because they're looking at people that look like them, that speak the way they speak, that might, you know, I speak Spanish, so speaking to someone in Spanish, I can come across a little, you know, more believable, because honestly, for, you know, history tells us that a lot of us are feeling very unsafe we feel vulnerable you know and so when we have people that don't look like us to come into communities or share a, a message it's, you know it's kind of like mm, do i believe them do i not but then when you say no listen i come from the community like i know what you're talking about you know so <laughs> i cannot i don't need to use the jargon i'll let you know what it is and this is why it's good and this is why it's bad and so you know i think that that's also an advantage that we have that we are not only you know in we come from the community Communities, we're educating ourselves and then we're saying hey join us and be part of this mm-hmm. um, and how can we all teach each other and support each other it's overall. building that trust factor yeah. um, that we really bring to the table you know people trust us the community trusts us and we're very um, humbled by that humbled by that absolutely and protective uh, <laughs> of right, that as right. well well and we need more stories like like both of yours because uh, I I know how to operate a radio board but I don't know how to the ins and outs of real estate mm-hmm. uh, and, and I know a lot of people don't either. So seeing members of, of their own community doing what you're doing and, and, and doing meaningful projects, I think, goes a long way. Along with that story, that inspirational story, we also have you're also helping folks in the community to, to be a part of it. Uh, Latasha Bullock, correct? Yes. She's going to be she's last call laundry services. She's going to be a part of the Loads of Love initiative. She's going to be, I guess, managing it. Yeah, so Latasha Bullock is the owner and operator of Last Call Laundry, um, and she had humble beginnings. You know, she is still currently operating out of her home. With her her children. With her children. It's a family, literally family affair. Yeah, it's a family affair, and and she's not going to cover off the ball. You know, she's getting contracts with Buffalo Bills and Buff State and... Um, great nonprofits, black-owned nonprofits. So she's really, really doing the work um, with very minimal resources. So yeah. it's those type of people we want to empower and join us on this partnership. So she will be the general operator of the laundry mat. Uh, we're actually having dinner later together. Hey. Um, so you know we're really looking forward to growing that partnership even more. And Jacasey, you mentioned the as far as the. The residential units. As far as the residential yeah. units, yes. thank you. <laughs> You're working with 
Leah Angel Daniels. Yes. Correct? Um, fostering Greatness? Yes, yes. So Leah, um, she's awesome, just like Latasha. I mean, we're just, I mean, not to toot our horns, just beautiful, wonderful, you know, <laughs> Toot women. away, please. Yeah, women that are, are just really, you know, just really empowered to do something great. So um, so Fostering Greatness is a wonderful organization that helps um, aging youth and young adults from foster care. Um, you know, foster care is obviously... Um, you know, a very tough, tough situation to be in for anyone. And, um, you know, what happens when you age out? There mm-hmm. aren't a lot of resources out there. Unfortunately, the state, the city doesn't provide the resources that is needed for people to thrive after that. And so, you know, with this partnership, partnership, we've committed to being able to say, hey, listen, we're going to come together. And, you know, the young people that age out that she calls alumni, which is a beautiful, beautiful mm-hmm. name. You're an alumni. Um, you know, you went through that system and now you get to come into these homes and you know and set yourself up so we're hoping to also provide some workforce development through that process and then just just like a lot of different resources that we're just like excited to brainstorm and see how how more how much more we can do to make sure that um anyone that now gets into these residential units are able to thrive and do well and you know be a, a working person in the community and, and you know, just do well for themselves. Yeah. So Fostering Greatness will be the master leaseholder of those units, yes. uh, which is very awesome. exciting. Um, and we're working with corporations and other private lenders to get grants to really deck those units out. So when those Fostering Greatness alum come in, come in, that's one less barrier they have to worry about. Right. They don't have to think about the sheets, the area rug, the blinds, the this, the that. They're going to come fully ready to take that next step or that next leap in life on whatever that looks like for yep. them. And so. they don't have to worry about washer dryers. And they don't <laughs> want to have to worry about washer <laughs> yes. dryers. There you go. That's exactly. Right. That's right. Exactly. Uh, we're, we're speaking with Brandy Barrett and Jacasey Benitez of Barrett and Benitez Development, two, two young ladies that are doing some some great things in real estate and, and, and urban development. Brandy, you, you've been around the community now for your whole life. Growing up in the Fruit Belt neighborhood, you look around our region, there's been a lot of changes. Some other areas outside of the east side of Buffalo that you feel are in desperate need of development. Yeah, I mean, Buffalo is a Rust Belt town, and we live in, closer to other Rust Belt cities. You know, Rochester, Niagara Falls, those places are not too much different than a city of Buffalo. Um, and I don't, and I want to say Rochester even more because it seems as if the city of Rochester is very similar to just one sector of Buffalo, which is the east side. Um, So continuing for these neighboring cities to see what we're doing and being able to use those resources to duplicate. You know, we want to be an example of what change can look like, of what anti-displacement can look like. You know, Um, we do not want to go into those communities and say, you need to do this. We want to give you a testimonial and be able to work together. Um, to maximize the resources, to maximize the history that's coming from those communities. So, yeah, it's a it's a great model that I I hope takes catches fire. Jacasey, you're in you're in the big city. You're the big behemoths uh, city of of New York City. How do you see something similar there? Do you see any any? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, You know, there are some changes that are already happening. Um, I'm from the Bronx, and I grew up in the South Bronx. And so, you know, there's a lot of gentrification that's happening all throughout New York City. And, you know, uh, the Bronx is kind of, you know, now it's catching on. So there's still a lot of changes that have to happen. Brooklyn is a completely different place now. Uh, Brooklyn's its own city. Like, Brooklyn, I mean, actually. All those hipsters that just took 
Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So um yeah, so so definitely so just recently we got the um ch- a children's museum in the Bronx. You know, I mean all the other boroughs have had a museum for kids for a while. We mm-hmm. just got one like you know two three months ago, and so definitely the Bronx is an area that needs to change. You know, I know Newark, New Jersey is always is also an area that you know and and. What we what we can say about all these areas that the commonality is that is people of color that live there. That's you know, right. that's right, and that's what happens. We've been marginalized for so many years. So usually, if you can you can go to every city and where there's a large population of people of color, Hispanic people, Black people, you know, Asian, whatever Asians, you will see that their lack of resources. They there's don't some have some form of disinvestment. Yeah, there's there's some form of disinvestment. You know, from something simple of like in my area, there isn't. If you go downtown in Manhattan you know, you will see a garbage can in every corner on the blocks. In my area, you don't see a garbage can. So so what happens is that there's more garbage. And so everything looks distressed. Everything looks dirty. Everything just, there's no, you know, and then that just adds to how people feel emotionally about the space. And so they, you know, so basically areas like like the Bronx, South Bronx, and the South Bronx, um, Newark, New Jersey, um, Reading, PA, which is a little hot, more closer over here, but Reading, PA is also mm-hmm. an area. I have family there, um, and I see the same thing. Um, we were just in Binghamton like two weeks ago. There's uh, happening. It's happening in Binghamton. Um, so yeah, and it's yeah. There's there's a lot of places that need to have some more um, developments happening to be able to have the community thrive. And hopefully keeping the identity of the of the neighborhood. Exactly. Right. right. Exactly. Is, you don't want to you don't want to have uh, someone else coming in and, and and paint up your town the way they want. You want right. you want your colors. You want your 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 sazon. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Loads of Love is not the, the, I said it's first of many, hopefully. What other projects do you have in mind for, for your redevelopment group? Yeah, so we really want to focus on home ownership. So one of the second projects um, we're looking into um, is Freedom Brownstone. So Loads of Love, we're always look, we're looking to franchise Loads yes. of Love, but it's really important that we understand this model from a performance and branding standpoint. So we are setting people up for success, general operators up for success as the brand grows. Um, but home ownership. So Freedom Brownstones is one of our second projects where there are going to be townhomes that people can purchase. Um, so we're looking into land and historic buildings that we can do renovations on. Um, I am also the commercial uh, district manager for Broadway Fillmore NHS. And we know Broadway Fillmore area is on an upward boom with mm-hmm. development. Um, so we're looking in that area um, and places where people really want to be and spend their time. So um, Broadway Fillmore, uh, we're looking at commercial districts like um East Ferry, Michigan, Jefferson, you know, those are some of the meccas of BIPOC and people of color area. So we really want to make home ownership boom and do and continue to do it on a sustainable way. Yeah. As developers, as, as real estate minds now, I can say that, I give you a blank check <laughs> to fulfill a dream development project here in Buffalo. What are you tackling? Loads of love. <laughs> <laughs> Bigger. I give you Bigger. a, a larger. This is what? 2.1 million? I'm giving you 10, 20 mil, million. Oh, wow. That's a good one. Um, We're, I, I mean, we have the AKG Museum that's getting renovated. That's an essential piece of a community. We have we have the Bill Stadium. We know how, how much uh, back and forth there's been on that project. But what with a, with a blank check, what, what, what area, what, what project needs to be 
addressed? Um, I am partial. So there's two places um, that have a special place in my heart. The first one is the African American Cultural Center on Michigan. Um, mm-hmm. It is long overdue um, with investment. You know, we need to highlight the talent and the theater plays that have come out of that center. Um, it's this very small little center, and they do impactful things to really magnify and put them on a bullhorn and a give them a bigger investment and give them the flowers they so <laughs> deservingly need and deserve um, is, is one of them. And then the Central Terminal. Um, mm. That is a place a very historic, historic gym yeah. um, on yeah. the east side. Um, all, both of those places are on the east side. So I would really, if I had a blank check, um, it would definitely go to those two places, really reimagining, reinvesting, giving those people who, you know, kept those places open um, and restored, you know, the flowers while they can still smell them. And then if I could add one more other sure. thing. Working with the NFTA to get public transit to the airport. Public transit yes, is such transit, a huge yes. one for Eastside. Um, and getting that train to run from downtown Buffalo to the airport uh, would be my third. If I had any money left in that check. Well, it was a blank check. <laughs> I, I, blank I, check so yeah. you, took yeah. the, you took the assignment. You knew the assignment. You took it and ran with it like a true. You're more of a city planner. Not not just the developer. You yeah. Have, you, the transit is in dire need. I, I came from from DC prior to this, and and their transit system is is top notch. New York could use some help, but it's it it's still great. Help, it's still fantastic. Yes. It still serves the needs of of, of, of a huge metropolis. So. Yeah, yeah, no, and I definitely I was gonna say I'm glad she said it because I was gonna say transit because I just remember you know many moons ago when I, I lived here in Buffalo and I was in college and waiting for the bus to just go down the street. So just the, not only the trains, but the, the buses, you know, mm-hmm. like, there has to be a, a better way to be able to have um, residents just to be able to travel around the city. And Loads of Love will have some sort of travel hub or, or bus stop or is oh, there yes. a project to, to help in the transportation? Oh, yeah. so we're working with... You don't want to be lugging their laundry bags for too long. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, we're working with NFTA to make sure there's an established bus stop on that corner. Um, we're also going to have a bike share opportunity. Um, we're looking to have EV electrical plugins. Um, so we really want to make Loads of Love a social enterprise. So people are not just coming to wash their clothes. They can come in, plug in, do homework, have a meeting, you know, charge their car if they need to you know we want to be multifaceted we want to feel like we're just an extension of grandma's house if you will because everybody was going to grandma's house to do their laundry <laughs> at one point or i know i did you know <laughs> i'll bear that cross it's okay you know but uh, we want to feel like home we want yeah. to feel like this is culture um and you can get your needs met in one way or another right well ladies like i'm like i've said before uh not to show any favoritism i think it's a fantastic pro- project that you're all undertaking i wish you much continued success and, and luck if anyone wants to find out more about barrett and benita's development what, what can they do they can uh, visit our website at barrettandbenitasdevelopment.com um, we're also having a zoom virtual event june 22nd um, that people can register onto. Um, so yeah, feel free to check us out. We're also on social media, Facebook, Instagram. Um, so yeah, we'll probably have a selfie on Instagram <laughs> of this show. So yeah, please check us out and um, join us on our journey.
Yes, and I want to add to that, if they're interested in investing, then Common Owner, um, get all the details about you know what it means to learn more about the project, and if they're interested, they can go on and get more information. Jack Casey, Brandy, thank you so much for joining us on Buffalo What's Next. I appreciate it. Thank, thank you, you for so having much. us. Yes, this was great. <laughs> we'll be back after this on Buffalo What's Next. Check out the Our Town series produced by WNED PBS, but captured by community members on the Buffalo Toronto Public Media YouTube channel. Ellicottville is a town of variety, not only in what they have to offer, but the people. The Burlington community is uh, becoming increasingly multicultural, and the library is reflecting that. Parks and playgrounds have been what makes the town of Tonawanda a great place to grow up. The series began in 2003, but it's making its debut on YouTube now. Although some of the businesses and people may have changed over the years, the spirit of these wonderful towns remain the same. We just didn't realize what we had in our own backyard. We need the next generation to protect it and carry on. Learn about Jamestown, Burlington, Welland, East Aurora, and more than a dozen other beautiful communities in our region by watching the Our Town series now on YouTube. I, w I would live there. <laughs> WNED Classical has been conducting interviews of their own on YouTube with the classical music community. Have you ever wondered what goes into the performances you hear on WNED Classical? Head on over to our Buffalo Toronto Public Media YouTube page to see the collection of interviews that we've orchestrated. And be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next one. Watch Buffalo's Voices of Steel on YouTube. The original WNED-PBS production captures the legacy of the steel industry in Western New York through the voices of the people who worked in the mills. Anybody who never saw the steel plant in operation missed something. I told my kids that they really missed to see what it was like to make steel. Through remembrances of the workers, Buffalo's Voices of Steel showcases the pride Western New York still feels about its steel-producing past. Watch it now on the Buffalo Toronto Public Media YouTube channel. And don't forget to subscribe while you're there. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org together we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. Today we are tackling topic of police mental health. It is May, Mental Health Awareness Month. It's been that way since 1943. And what better time than now to, to discuss this as we see unfortunate rise in crimes, but also the mental effects that our law enforcement members are, are undergoing. I'm joined today by Officer Matthew Cross, how are you, Matt? I'm doing well. Good morning. Matt is the newly appointed full-time wellness coordinator for Buffalo Police Department. This was earlier this month, correct? That's correct. Congratulations, first and foremost, on, on the position. It's To me, it's it's something that I think you're the first full-time wellness coordinator, correct? That's correct. So this is something that I, I feel like has been a long time coming. Commissioner Grimalia and Byron Brown announced this earlier this month. And how, how have you been adjusting to the role? How, how has it been so far the first month? It's actually been, it's been terrific. We've had a 
a great amount of one support and two uh, outpouring of uh, contributions as far as um, wanting to get together and and have meetings and discuss how we can make things better and that's from outside agencies that's from interdepartmental members that's from just a multitude of people and it's so encouraging uh, this early on this is a, this is something that that's been in my mind for for some time I have family ties to, to law enforcement people tend to forget it's kind of I, I hate to say it but it's almost because of of some outlier instances, isolated instances outside of Buffalo and how police and law enforcement have handled certain instances, uh, that's become kind of an easy easy entry point to, to kind of ignore or, or not really look at the, the, the law enforcement angle of side of this, of every criminal incident or shooting. There's a physical toll there, there for, the, for the officers. There's a mental toll. You are formerly a part of the peer team at the Buffalo Police Department, so you kind of had you've had direct contact with the individuals that have been around some of these very. I don't I don't want to delve into the details of, but the effects of it. They're they're coined critical incidents, so these are going to be traumatic experiences, uh, both from the officer and whoever uh, was involved, be it a suspect, a victim. Um, you know, this can range anywhere from. A traumatic car accident that takes lives to officer-involved shootings. Um, these these things are what the public watches on the news as just crime that takes place or something something very bad that takes place. And when you are viewing that from an outsider's perspective, you're viewing it as the people involved uh, and their experience with it. But what you you tend to overlook is the police officer's experience because he's living through that with the suspect or the victim or you know whatever they're responding to they take home with them um, and and the big the big focus here is going to be how to to cope with that and deal with that and and make it through a, a very lengthy difficult career uh, when you are seeing these repetitively it's almost like the other first responders that deal with with traumatic instances in their daily lives, you're 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 seeing your partner shot. You're seeing you're seeing a victim shot and killed or or an accident, and you have to kind of just clean the slate and move on to the next day because people need to be protected. People need to be uh, criminals need to be taken care of. What is the current uh, procedure when an officer? and or surrounding uh, department officers experience one of these critical instances? From our standpoint, from, from the peer standpoint, and from a, a mental health and wellness standpoint, when something were to happen, uh, we try to dispatch to the scene directly and address the people from our end that were involved directly. Uh, that includes, one, if they're okay, two, how are they doing mentally? Is there something that they need immediately? Is it something that can be addressed following up uh, in the next few days to the weeks. Um, we are sort of liaisons between the officers involved and kind of administration and the union altogether. So we want to make sure, you know, if it's something that they're going to be taken out of work for, uh, either during an investigation or they're injured, 
uh, that while they're off on that time, that they are being checked on and that they are okay. Uh, if they're not okay, uh, we will provide a referral service to clinicians, and they're all vetted uh, to, to work specifically with law enforcement. The point of that is being that the clinicians that they're seeing understand and have experience in the field uh, to help them cope and get through these things. As far as a law enforcement officer dying on, in the line of duty, is it, is it voluntary for their partner, their their fellow officers? Is it, is it up to them to then say, "Hey, I, I need to have I need to talk to somebody about this," or is it is there a system in place though after? A traumatic event like that for someone that's close to the person that's passed say voluntary i guess is, is the correct terminology for it because they don't automatically get pushed to go see a counselor we can't right. mandate people right. to do these things so what we'll do is we will check on them we'll see where they're at if they need additional assistance outside of the scope of our duties we'll provide that that avenue for them if they are struggling to the point that they need to be relieved of their duties at work, that's something that is discussed with administration. Uh, the union's generally involved, and uh, time off is either taken on their own or if it's an extenuating circumstance that they're related to the case and they're taken off administratively for a certain amount of time. So um, we do the initial outreach and the, and the follow-ups to, to make sure that they're going in the right direction. Once again, I'm speaking with Officer Matthew Cross. He's the Buffalo Police Department's newly appointed wellness coordinator. And before that, as I mentioned, you were you headed the, the peer team, which was volunteer members of the police force that tasked themselves with kind of talking to members of, of the department that experienced some, some sort of mental health condition. With your direct involvement in that, what have you seen to be the biggest hurdles for members of your force to open up or... or get over some of the, the, I mean, I put it bluntly like that, but to work with the, 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 the stressors that they have on a daily basis? Because as it, you mentioned, it's voluntarily done. Are you finding that some aren't just, you have to really pry it out of them? or That's the biggest hurdle, 100%, is we provide these avenues for help, and we're going to continue and push even harder. You can't force anybody to seek the help or to reach out so the, the biggest hurdle is, yes, uh, having somebody that is struggling, one, admit that, two, ask for help. Um, another thing that we really need to work on is as uh, a peer or somebody that works in the same station house or as a partner uh, sees somebody else struggling, we, we need to start using all of our people to start reaching out to each other and identifying these people if they don't want to identify themselves. So... You may not be struggling, but you know somebody it is. Give us a call and let us let us reach out to them. It can be anonymously. It can be however we need to approach that, just to check and make sure that we're doing what we can to get them what they need. And uh, it's unfortunate, but uh, part of the, the catalyst to the creation of this, that, that once again, I feel I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that we're addressing this, but on the unfortunate side of this is that there's been a tangible rise in police suicide in, in the area it's it's a it's a rising issue and and how are you practically attacking that whenever we lose a member uh, the peer team specifically will provide a family advocate 
and that that gets you through the uh, initial event we'll be at their house that day to to try to fulfill their needs uh, assist them in any way possible to alleviate the stressors that come with that that could be with funeral arrangements that could be anything they need a, a ride somewhere right we'll stay with them either by phone nearby whatever is needed uh, as long as they'd like us there as far as proactive goes especially with uh, this new position being created is, is is so wonderful because it gives us more of a chance to focus all of my time directly but also the being able to be with the peer team and send them out in different directions and utilize them more. So we want to be checking in on people that are on IOD, that are that are suspended, that are even possibly getting ready to retire and not not sure right. what's comes after this. Because when you sometimes when you retire or you're taken out of work, you lose your identity. This has been me for twenty plus years. You know what I'm saying? So who am I moving forward? Is there a plan? Am I just going to go home and sit and then, you know, think bad things happen? So education, training, and a big push to really reach out to as many people as we can and their families, um, bringing in their families while they're still with us and after um, to educate them and to let them know our resources that are available for their families because you, as a police officer, you could be struggling, you may not be struggling, but your family at home is there when you get home. And, and you have been bringing your work home with you for all these years. So maybe they're struggling. Matt, you uh, have yourself have been with Western New York law enforcement for now 15 years. You've been five years now with the Buffalo Police Department. Prior to that, 10 years with uh, Erie County's Sheriff Department. How do you feel that your background will help you in this new role? Actually, I was fortunate enough to do 12 years with the Erie County Sheriff's Department. Oh, my, uh, that, I got to no, ch- change that, my no, notes. That's my okay. <laughs> I just, just, uh, just want to get the, put the I, years in there. I you appreciate know? it. Uh, and that, that speaks volumes over there for where I am today. And I worked for the Erie County Holding Center mm. as a supervisor there. For a long time and met some of the most incredible people you could ever imagine their job is so incredibly difficult um, you know as a police officer if we're dealing with somebody hostile or aggressive or you know we deal with them for that incident sometimes the arrest we take them to lockup and then we don't see them again unless there's a court appearance or we arrest them again or have dealings with them outside of work. When you're inside of a facility like that, like the holding center, you are dealing with people that are sometimes very aggressive, um, take things personal, you know, act out, whatever. But you're doing that on a 24-7 basis mm-hmm. because there's nowhere for them to go until they're sentenced of state or their release. So the mental end of that, is extremely challenging. And I think by me spending the time that I did there and and worked alongside of the people that were there, experiencing the difficulties that can happen there uh, has prepared me for this position uh, tenfold. I mean, I 
prior to to working there, I didn't have any experience with with law enforcement or anything in those dealings, and uh, it, it's a very very difficult environment to be in sometimes. So there's few off days. There feels like if you're at work, you're not up. You know what I mean. So right. and, and uh, slow days. Additionally to that. I've been able, when I was there, to, as a supervisor, be able to deal with the difficult people as well, which has is, is also helped build my experience in one patients, uh, mental health issues in general, um, just training and learning and, and doing on a daily basis for a very long time um, has been wonderful. And for yourself, part of mental well-being is having those conversations with yourself, with others. And as far as your own personal experience, how do you decom or compartmentalize or decompress all the stresses that you see on a daily basis? How do you? What advice would you would you give those that are in the same in the same procedure or same situation? Well, one thing is to have a good support system at home, family life, and your friends outside of work, especially. We spend so much time together at work that they are also our family in a lot of ways. But I, I would suggest once you're not at work, spend time with your friends and family that are, have nothing to do with, with law enforcement whatsoever and get back to who you were before you became uh, an officer. Th this allows you to kind of reset your mind and, and to take the focus off of work all the time. That's huge. Another thing is, if you've been doing this long enough, you have been through some type of critical incident. And that's just, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. So there is zero shame in getting involved in some type of counseling or, or clinical work. Something, even if you don't think you have a problem, something may pop up that you really didn't think you were struggling with, but now you have a chance to deal with it and it doesn't sit in the backpack and just weigh you down anymore um, so obviously physical fitness working out eating right you know nobody's ever had you know done extremely well mentally by being in a bar five six nights a week there's so much more life and you know I, i'm not above anybody that I've, I've been there. We've, um, if you've been in this field, you have probably spent some time doing some not so constructive things. Um, and that that's a traditional coping. I mean, that's what was taught many years ago. And it's still used today. Uh, unfortunately, we want to try to steer away from that. We really want to move forward. It sounds like you definitely are, are moving the department in that direction. And I applaud you for that. Are you working with any local agencies? You mentioned some clinicians that, that work directly with, with affected members of, of the department. Um, but any, any agencies, any entities outside of, of the department that, that you're working in collaboration with? Absolutely. Western New York Law Enforcement Helpline is who trains all of our peers directly. Uh, they are fantastic. They provide both a law enforcement 24-7 hotline and a family hotline. So when you would call there, they would branch you off to whichever direction you would need. Do you know that number? I do. It's 716-858-2677. Uh, they are wonderful, and someone will take your call. They, I can't 
speak highly enough about the people uh, and relationships I've built through that organization. I'm unfortunately been on the board over there for about two years, and the effort that goes into to what, and again, volunteers. So nobody's getting paid to sit there and listen to you talk. They want to listen to you speak and tell you what's going on. Um, we also work with Operation Overwatch. They're out in Lockport. They're they're starting to uh, provide training avenues, and they have a very nice venue out there. Strive to Thrive is now putting on a, a retreat out at Beaver Hollow mm. out in Chafee. It's wonderful, and we are trying to push all of our people uh, and at least in Buffalo so far, and I know the sheriffs use them too, to get out there for a three-day retreat. That's awesome. It's at no cost to our people. Um, the There's trainings there. There's a giant lake, a beautiful walking trails. It's, it's just fantastic. Can I go? I'm not I'm not law enforcement, but can I, I sign up? Well, uh, let me talk to the boss <laughs> and see if we can work you in there. I'm sure we could. That's great. Uh, it, it's just fantastic. There, and then, like I said, there's agencies coming out of the woodwork from all across the country, and emails full every day texts are coming in from all different people and there has been when we have major events in the past couple years people do reach out and that is wonderful it's just how do we utilize them and now being able to kind of focus all energies on on doing that and and seeing what works in other places that we're not utilizing here what can we use from other places to to make things right here um so yes. What are some of those things that you might have seen or takeaways from other other departments or, or initiatives that you want to implement? One of the the bigger things is um, health and wellness are huge. So offering meals, uh, providing meals once a week, or allowing a, a certain amount of uh, healthy meals to be purchased from companies here and there uh, for our officers, so they're not eating whatever is on the road that day. Um, getting together with some gyms and memberships and allowing either discounted memberships or having classes at the station houses, whatever would bring people in and give them more of an opportunity to just get going, feel better. Sometimes about it's just awareness that there's benefits and, and, and resources available, and that's, that's, that's huge. What would you say to those people that are 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 dismissing the plights of, of law enforcement how can you help humanize the the day-to-day struggle that our law enforcement members are are experiencing what i would say is the officers that i've worked with and i know many other agencies uh, in general we want to help you nobody goes out there looking for a major altercation or any type of anything that's going to not let them go home at night. Nobody wants to take another's life. Nobody goes out looking for that. Uh, officers are put in extraordinary situations daily. And I think if the public started to kind of think about what we've been discussing this morning as how much we deal with as law enforcement officers day in and day out for 20 plus years, you know, the incidents we see over a lifetime are just an incredibly large amount higher than a normal person would ever have to see. And 
one, dealing with that on its own is, is difficult enough, and we're not trying to create any more. Um, nobody wants to, you know, cause anybody any type of stress or, or pain in general. We out there doing our jobs. We unfortunately sometimes uh, have to act on certain things we see. Um, I can't and won't speak for any of the things that, like you said, isolated incidents that have happened. Um, but I know that that is not the intent uh, of the general police officer. Uh, unfortunately, they're put in very difficult situations. And I know everybody does their best to, to just keep everybody safe and go home at night. I don't want to put you in a tough spot as a, as a person of, of, of a noted position, but what do our elected officials, what do we have to do to better aid our, our members of law enforcement to do their jobs properly, to be able to have, be in a solid mental headspace and operate most efficiently? I would say funding is always a large one. So, you know, it's instead of taking away from us, better equip us. That's been one of the, the, the big outcries in the last few years with these isolated instances sure. that we've mentioned. Like, that's been the, a big one. But funding and funding going to wellness in, initiatives or... Yeah, I, I would say absolutely. Um, if if a healthier officer is a happier, more efficient officer, um, that goes without saying. Uh, but again, if you, you know, have the proper tools to do your job daily, also, um, you know, there's even less chance for error. There's less chance for uh, questioning what could or couldn't have happened here. Um, a lot of, you know. Things have not gotten, you know, easier for police officers. I can tell you that. If anything, they made, they're definitely, uh, it's probably never been as difficult as it is today to do the job to begin with. Um, you know, I, I don't really want to expel too much on that. But, uh, yes, if, if you can make an officer happier uh, at work, at home, in general, in their life, um, that that transfers into just a better career and, and better interactions with the public, better everything. It's a general understanding that I think sometimes gets, gets lost, though, that there are humans behind that badge. And everyone is, is waiting in their own wars, in their own lives, and, and you all sometimes see a lot more of those wars. So um, I appreciate the work that you're doing. I, I thank you for... For coming in and talking to us and enlightening us a bit about what you're planning on tackling now in the new title congratulations once again and and the best of luck i i mean it's in our all in our best interest that that you succeed uh matt is there any other initiatives or any other upcoming events that that you would like to put out there for our audience to know about we are going to be working on uh a very nice health fair wellness fair that will be announced probably fairly soon. Um, a lot of stuff happens in our office and we're just working with the officers. But I, what I would like to say is that if you are listening to this and you're a, a family member, relative, friend, keep an eye on your officers when they come home. Ask them how their day was. Ask them how things are going. Ask them if there's, there's anything they need uh, every now and then. Um, 
you may be surprised. You may be surprised what you hear sometimes. And, you know, that could, you know, make or break some people. So um, just just please be vigilant. And also, if you're, if you're that family member and you need something, please reach out. That hotline again. 858-2677. Officer Cross, thank you so much for your time. And, and thank you for joining us on Buffalo What's Next. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Buffalo What's Next. You're listening to Buffalo Toronto Public Media, WBFO and WBFO, HD1 Buffalo, WOLN Olean, and WUBJ Jamestown. Your and